Payanat. Mande. Have you ever been involved with something, say like a project or a business, and it's not going anywhere, but you still keep at it? What do you mean? Say like like a project that's not giving you the results you want, but you feel that you've already staked so much that you just can't quit. So you keep pouring more time or money into it. Ever had that? No. Well, that's all for today, folks. Thank you. I'm Alan Lili. This is Port of Entry. Man, I'm kidding. Yes, of course. I mean, I've committed so much to your manners, but nothing. Oh, Miss Comedy walked into the... <laughs> guys, guys, can we stay in subject, please? Alan, please, let's get to the Seinfeld clip, please. Come on. Ay, perdón, jefecito. Mm-hmm, okay. There's a famous Seinfeld episode that gets to this. It's titled The Strike. And one of the subplots in this episode is that Elaine is trying to reach 24 purchase subs to get a free sub sandwich and a captain's hat. Let's take a listen. You've eaten 23 bad subs. I just need one more. It's like a long bad movie, but you want to see the end of it? No, you walk out. All right, then it's like a boring book, but you gotta finish it. No, you wait for the movie. <laughs> I want that free sub. You're still trying to get that free sub? Hey. I have spent a lot of time and I have eaten a lot of crap to get to where I am today. And I am not throwing it all away now. She puts up with buying the cheapest and nastiest subs to be able to get to that good, expensive one she wants. But she keeps losing the card that holds the stamps and instead of quitting, she just starts over. Huh. I think I know what you're talking about, Alan. You do? A ver. Well, there is something to that. It's a bias that we humans have. And if I remember correctly, this bias is called the sunk cost fallacy, also referred to as the gambler's fallacy. Exactly. The fallacy is basically that we're unable to cut our losses because we're unable or unwilling to accept them. So we keep investing more money and time. Like throwing good money after bad. Eso. There's a whole host of psychological factors, like denial, pride, hope, guilt, reluctance that play into why you may not quit. Yeah, I think it happens to almost everyone at some point in their life, right? And it happened to Moomin, the subject of today's episode. And, and I was a good client to, to, to Chase, to Wells Fargo. They gave me good loans, you know, but it was, it was a kind of a trap, kind of, that I knew was a trap, but... Almost like a drug addict. You're addicted, you, you don't have any... Moomin Nouri is a Moroccan chef currently based in Valle de Guadalupe. But a few years ago, he was running a restaurant in San Diego, and he found himself in this predicament, throwing good money after bad. You don't have any other choices. You think you don't have any other choices. So you keep borrowing in order to, to keep surviving another year. But the reality is, if you're really a good businessman or woman, You have to know, learn when to quit. And that's something that I keep, kept refusing until, thank goodness, COVID came. <laughs> Today's story is all about second chances, the genes and the state of mind we're calling migrant mindset syndrome. Stay tuned. From KPBS and PRX, this is Port of Entry. Where we tell cross-border stories that connect us. I'm Alan Lilienthal. And I'm Natalie Gonzalez. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs. 
featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at CandlewoodArtsFestival.org. From KPBS, you're listening to Port of Entry. Moomin's restaurant, Cuscus del Valle, is a one-hour and 30-minute drive from the border. The scenic route towards Ensenada makes it a beautiful drive. The coastal highway runs along the cliffs with astounding views of the ocean. It really is one of my favorite drives ever. As we turn inland, towards Valle de Guadalupe wine country, beautiful rolling vineyards stretch out in front of us. Cuscus del Valle sits on a slight hill with a stunning panoramic view of the valley. It's an open-air restaurante with the elements on full display. You can even hear the birds chirping, the wind rustling the grape leaves of the vines that sit right in front of you. A soothing feeling is unavoidable. It's almost like we were at a spa. What a pleasure seeing you. (laughs) Moment had us over for dinner. He was breaking his fast from Ramadan, the month that Muslims fast from sunrise to sunset. Yep, last day, bring the cerveza. Wait, no, today, really? last day, yes. No, I was that's, wrong. That's right. What made it extra special was that it was actually the very last day of Ramadan, which made Moomin very excited. Moomin is a talented chef with a charming sense of humor and a keen sense of adventure. He wasn't shy to flex his Spanish, his fourth language, and break the ice. This is, this is my chef Ramon. Okay. Hola, mucho gusto. Yes. Hola, hola. Yes. We start with milk and dates in Ramadan. It's the first thing you eat. Well, Ramadan is, is, a, is a Muslim practice where you abstain from a lot of pleasures of life, from sunrise to sunset. As, as a sign of submission to God, but also as a practice of meditation, feeling hungry, feeling what other people do feel, the poor people. Food is the easy part, believe it or not. This, the hard part is the spiritual and religious. You're supposed to not have bad thoughts, no say bad words. It's a lot of discipline, so you practice some good practices one month a year, (laughs) then you ruin it for 11 months a year. (laughs) Even though he was fasting at the time he had us over, because of Ramadan, his delightful accent and energetic personality lit up the whole place. He had us laughing throughout the whole evening. Oh yeah, charming, delightful, that's a lot of adjectives. Julio did mention you liked him. Like his food. Oh my God, Jesus. Natalie, movement, sitting in a tree. <laughs> yes, stop it. Anyway, after the milk and dates, he started us off with a number of entries to share. This is for the adventurous only, it's liver. Oh, yeah. The food was a visual spectacle. To say that the entrees were vibrant and colorful is an understatement. All the little side dishes were served in tiny clay pots. A little liver stew with garbanzo. This is marinated carrots and olives. We call it... Means marinated carrots and olive. This is the universal hummus, the garbanzo hummus, and my chubs, which is pita. You call it pita, but we call it chubs or raif. As Moomin cracked more jokes, more food kept coming in. The aromas took over the whole table. They were just heavenly. As you can imagine, our producer Julio was very happy. Just a little 
little snacks to start to start with. The harissa hot sauce, yes, you have to. My harissa is actually doesn't discriminate too much, doesn't change the flavor, it just makes things spicier. It doesn't have too much vinegar or you know, just make things give it a kick. Your, uh, Natalie was schooled in proper North African etiquette as she started digging in using a fork and knife. Yeah, look, you're Mexican, right? Yeah. Yes. Don't eat like uh, like a gringo. <laughs> Got a piece. Got a piece. And that's take take as much that's a big okay. chunk of the house. Yes. I see. Thank you. I feel much better now. <laughs> We'll be, if they finish that, I'll bring you yeah, another no worries. <laughs> and after being put on the spot, she got going with the questions. Tell me about your memories growing up in Morocco. We was uh, born in Marrakesh uh, 500 years ago. <laughs> in the uh, late, late, late 60s, in 1968. I recommend your... Um your moisturizing him because yeah, I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he's Moroccan food. My dad was a cop. My mom was a was a housewife. My mom was as the wine kept flowing. At least for us, he started opening up a bit more. It was it was look growing up in the early eighties. Once you start opening your eyes, when you're exposed to certain things through the media, through TV, radio, music, movies. If, if, if you're a very curious person, person, you want those things, you know, then you try to reach to those things. You're no longer satisfied with what you have. You start looking for the other stuff. Women began looking for that other stuff, fueled by expectations from birth. That was my dad's fault to be very ambitious. My dad wanted me to be a general. He named me after actually an, an Egyptian general that, that won some wars war against the Crusaders and stuff like that. Since we were kids, he's like, you're gonna be a, a big guy, like somebody important. But he almost got cold feet. I became nervous because I was leaving everything. You know, a good job, family, friends. All my friends, you know, a lot of people think that everybody wanna leave country to go to America. It's a tiny minority, tiny, teeny, tiny minority, at least in my experience in Morocco. My friends were like, are you crazy, man? You got everything here. You got us, you got your family. Why? You know, I didn't know how to explain, but it started to sink in that I'm actually leaving more precious things to go to the unknown, you know, which was a frozen unknown in Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> you know? Cleveland, Ohio. Oof, that's rough. No disrespect to Cleveland, Ohio, but can you imagine leaving the bright, colorful, San Diego-like weather of Marrakesh for Cleveland, Ohio? I, I left Morocco for the U.S. in 1996. You know, then, um, then uh, went to, got a job in Cleveland, Ohio. You know, started there and fought hard with for my green card and papers and... He started his papers hustle, trying to find a way to secure his stay in the U.S. legally. Here's where migrant mindset syndrome comes in. It is one key psychological factor that plays a central role in Moment's story. 
If you're wondering what we mean by migrant mindset syndrome, it's a set of psychological pressures that show up in immigrants who recently migrate to a new country. Obviously, this is just us speculating, but we want to definitely highlight this phenomenon that shows up in many of our communities. If you're a part of a demographic with a lot of people who are mixed status, that is like family members whose immigrant status in this country is either temporary or undocumented, like many in the Latino community, you are well acquainted with these psychological pressures. The first shows up as anxiety, not knowing if you'll be able to continue your stay. This anxiety weighs on you and is taxing. So, movement's visa issue? Well, there were two possible ways of dealing with it. You know, I applied, I, I, uh, I had an, an offer from the Moroccan gang in Florida. That's a group of friends from Morocco that had settled in Florida. To, to, to hook me up with a, with a girl to marry for, for money, absolutely. I had that, but you pay her, of course. That I considered that offer, and the other was get an attorney and get my employer to sponsor me for what's called labor certification, but it was going to cost me a lot more money. I end up being the son of a cop, of an honest cop. Uh, I ended up, uh, you know, going for the, the legal way. So I applied for labor certification. I paid an, an expensive uh, Chinese lawyer. <laughs> I remember she cost me $7,000. And we started the process. We started the process for, uh, for labor certification with a job offer. And during that process, for about a year and a half, uh, I was in no man's land. I was legal to stay but not, not, not allowed to work, basically. You know, because I was waiting for a response for my process. During that time, year and a half later, I met my wife. So I, I met this lady, fell in love. We got married. Then I ended up canceling that whole previous process and started a new process with her that sped up made things much faster and easier. And I want my $7,000 back. <laughs> I know the name of that attorney. <laughs> yeah, so... No, of course not. So with 7000 less in his pocket... But with a beautiful pride... Moomin eventually moved from Cleveland to California. up, Disneyland. We have a new neighbor. I'm here today to introduce you to a new California dream. What a sensational slice of God's good earth. He first settled in Carmel, but it was still too cold. So he made a run to the warmer climate in SoCal. Making a final move to San Diego. He loved San Diego and its weather. He dreamed about opening his first restaurant here. But he faced a significant challenge. ...that accepted me. You need to know that things were so different in 2004 when I was scouting for space in San Diego. Commercial rents, the landlords were so spoiled, so spoiled that they don't accept anybody to take over a space. Jim, just 
a few moments ago, something uh, believed to be a plane crashed into the South Tower. And yes, 9-11 had just happened. Breaking into uh, Susan's report to give you breaking news from New York City, where planes, two planes, have hit both towers of the World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan. And the people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Good afternoon. On my orders, the United States military has begun strikes against al-Qaeda terrorist training camps and military installations of the Taliban regime in Afghanistan. American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defend the world from grave danger. The U.S. had unofficially declared war on the Muslim world and eventually invaded Iraq in an effort to topple Saddam Hussein. I remember exactly 11 business plans to different landlords, including so many of them in uh, East Village. At that time, they were just new buildings, East Village. And I gave my business plan, and they all refused me. And we wondered, were these rejections based on some kind of prejudice? It wasn't too far-fetched to assume that he was, given the times. The spaces are open. Nobody's taking them. So, and you're getting money from the bank, so what's, yeah, the, yeah. what's the worry? <clears throat> They're always going to have that supply of gas. So San Diego, yes, there is, look, San Diego is a small, big town. San Diego is quite conservative, socially speaking. San Diego is no San Francisco, is not New York. Uh, uh, there is no, the people running the shows in San Diego they, they don't differentiate between Morocco, Somalia, Lebanon, and Iraq. You know, a lot of people, they're not well-traveled. After us being in war with the, with the Muslim Arab worlds, you know, people thought we, they were at war against Morocco too, because they thought Morocco were in the heart of the Middle East. You know, after our country, after years of propaganda against culture like mine, so, I don't have any proof of prejudice or racism, but I'm just suspecting I, 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 I reverse roles. If I were them, with, luck, with no education, no, not enough open-mindedness, I probably would be prejudiced against myself. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just some ignorance, really. But he eventually was able to secure space in a very vibrant neighborhood of San Diego. Hillcrest. Famous for welcoming all walks of life. Colorful flags decorating the San Diego skies for as far as the eye can see. When I turned around when we were marching and there was just like a sea of people and I got a little choked up because it was just so beautiful that everyone is able to be out here and be free and be who they are. When I took over that space was, uh, was trash. It was trash because my restaurant in San Diego was underground and yeah, it was below street level. It was the only rent that I could afford in 2005. And the only rent, the only space, the only landlord that accepted me. And this, according to Moomin, is where his trouble started. I considered closing sooner after the first year of opening my restaurant in San Diego. Well, the, no, not, but that thought comes to your head when you're beaten up for six months sometimes and you're, you're desperate for money and you're, 
you're draining, you're, uh, there is a... San Diego restaurant. The original couscous had its good moments, but the good moments were short-lived due to all the financial, emotional, personal challenges that he faced. So couscous, I went through that cycle many times in 15 years. You know, ups and downs, ups and downs. Every time there is an up, you feel like uh, the Lion King, you're doing great, you're happy. Then there is a crisis, either local or national or personal. Personal crises affect our businesses. Family issues, uh, sickness, all those things affect directly the productivity of, of, of your employees, of yourself. Moomin got caught in a toxic cycle, fueled by the second symptom of migrant mindset syndrome, which is... Failure is not an option. Leaving everything behind and embarking on a journey to a better world means there are expectations awaiting back home. Expectations that are always just a phone call away. There is the pressure from back home. That's, that's a, that pressure is intense. <laughs> there is a pressure to not to fail. You know, in my mom, she's until now, she's super harsh on me and she's the one that's like, well, Mustafa, the neighbor, he went to America for only five years. And look at him, he already bought a, a, a villa in Marrakesh with <laughs> stuff like that, you know. He's doing well, he has got kids. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, mom, I know, you know, she's so harsh on me. So it's her more than my dad. I blame this on my mom. <laughs> so, yeah, it's mainly my mom, the, the fact that I couldn't quit. That feeling, that I cannot be perceived as a failure feeling, led Moomin to fall prey to a kind of gambler's addiction. The sunk cost fallacy on full display. But once you get locked into a serious drug collection, the tendency is to push it as far as you can. I found myself for 25 years in the U.S., uh, in, a, in a really unhealthy cycle of the U.S. is almost like a big Las Vegas. It's a lot of gambling. Things look so close, but they're not that close. So it's easy to get a big loan. Then you jump into some big adventure. Then you end up working just for the banks and for your landlords. You, you put yourself into a really bad cycle. Just like pulling a lever on a slot machine, Moomin was forever hoping that the next yank would hit the jackpot. Getting him into some serious debt. So whenever there is a, then there is a crisis happens, you lose money, what you do? You go back to the bank. Because it's available. That's also another reason you don't give up. Because the banks, you're their best customers. They're like, Moomin, how much do you need? 100K? Bam. It's all yours, just give me 5% interest. So you are stuck in that cycle of borrowing. You become addicted to borrowing from the bank. And this cycle ultimately led Moomin to some destructive habits. I spent the first, first of all, the first eight years, I, I was drinking. 
not to the level of alcoholism, but um, it's the first eight years, you know, I was a little bit younger and I do the first six, eight hours of shopping from Restaurant Depot, prepping, cooking and stuff. Then you do your second shifts as a host. So you have to be pleasant. And I was starting to get exhausted, physically exhausted. Then started the gins and tonics. <laughs> you know, yes, almost every day, five, six, seven gins and tonics. Um, yep, almost every day. Well, four or five times a week uh, during the weekends because I wanted to be pleasant. Until he got a dire warning. The amount of stress he was dealing with eventually sent him to the hospital. And on his follow-up visit... One young Russian doctor was in Hillcrest. He treated me like a kid. He talked to me like if I was a child or a teenager. He's like, Moomin, do you want to die? <laughs> like this, with this heavy Russian accent. I told him, no. <laughs> well, you're at the limit of everything, you know. You need to take care of your diet and stuff. If you don't, next visit, I'm going to have to give you some pills for cholesterol. We're going to have to start to treat you for diabetes. So that was a major scare for me. That's about 12 years ago. And that's when I got back to swimming. Swimming, I, I can tell, I tell friend that saved my life. Moomin was forced to rethink, to reconsider even. Swimming helped put certain aspects of his life back on a healthier footing. But again, not everything was okay. He was still neck deep in debt. He couldn't cut his losses because he was so invested in his restaurant. It was hard for him to step out. Remember the sunk cost fallacy? He wanted out but didn't know how without feeling like a failure. Until... Good evening as we come on the air in the West tonight. President Trump addressing the American people just a short time ago as the toll of the coronavirus widens here in the U.S. The, president... the pandemic struck. My message to the American people is that I know that there's a lot of concern and, and energy about getting back to normal. It's a great stress. Across the country, officials putting drastic measures in place to fight this pandemic. Here's what we know right now. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 million people. The global death toll has now topped 10,000. Almost 250,000 cases have been recorded. The stay-at-home orders piled the pressure on. It was getting more and more difficult for movement. When I was contemplating closing down, because there was so much suffering, physical and mental. You, you just work hard, you, you can, you, your business is sick. You can, you, it's hard to bring it back. So you're mentally also exhausted. Businesses everywhere were forced to close down and Moomin's restaurant had been operating for three consecutive years at a loss. Then I started contemplating closing and I thought it was gonna feel great. You know, I was, I was like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm done. Then, then came that, that day when I said I can't. That said, I'm done. So I closed, and it felt great for a few hours. Then the sadness came, because I was building that thing for 16 years. You know, the sadness came of. Some of the employees like his namesake, Moomin had tried hard to soldier on, to make his family proud. That's also the, 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 some of the Middle Eastern Arabic culture and stuff. You, you try to stay strong. And so we, I was showing always that face, but inside alone I was crying. 
But while the world was at a standstill, the pandemic created an opportunity for the exit that Moomin was hoping for. <laughs> and that's, I know, it's, COVID is, is a horrible thing, but it helped so many people like myself say I'm done, you know. And we blamed it on COVID. <laughs> that's really why I say thank goodness for COVID. So like I said before, it, it's made us quit without shame. An opportunity to restart, to look for a second chance. And he found it. His second chance was waiting for him in Valle de Guadalupe, Baja's burgeoning wine country. This is Port of Entry. We will be back after a short break. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another has it. This is Port of Entry. The Parker Edison Project. Listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcast and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. From KPBS, you are listening to Port of Entry. We asked Moomin where his love for cooking came from, and... Uh, I, I loved watching my mom cooking, but I spent so much time when I was a kid with my grandma. And one thing that I'll never forget, honestly, until now, every time I roast the bell pepper, Every time, you know the, the technique, if Mexicans do it, you, you burn it and you put it in a little bag or something so you can peel the, the skin off. That smell of that bell pepper takes me back to when I was probably five, six years old sitting with my grandma doing it. That takes me back to that time because, you know, sometimes... Um, uh, <laughs> Tell me about that, please. <laughs> Where am I going with this? <laughs> no, it's just a little emotional. No, no. Let me take a breather here. The memory seemed to have really touched Moomin. Oh, my goodness. I didn't expect that. No, I'm fine. After a brief moment to recuperate emotionally, Moomin talked more about how he learned to love cooking from his grandmother. The roasted bell peppers were for a very simple salad found in Moroccan cuisine. This moving moment set the tone for the rest of the evening. We were all in good spirits. <laughs> and just in time for more food, the Voilà. Out of the kitchen came a number of different cone-shaped clay pots. In each, a different stew still bubbling hot. Now, speaking of the devil, speaking of the tagines. You guys ready? This is a lobina rayada, striped bass tagine, and lamb tagine with honey sauce. Saffron rice and some couscous. When the pots were opened up, 
it felt like time stopped. We were enraptured by the colors and the aromas, and oh my god, the aromas! It was breathtaking. You've had a braised lamb. Uh, four hours to four and a half. Slow, slow braised. Everything was exquisite. We asked him about the tagines, the clay pots in which the food was cooked and served. I honestly don't know the origin of it, where it came from, but it's, it was developed in, within the, our Amazigh culture first. Uh, tagine means two things. means the cooking utensil, which is the clay pot with this cone-shaped head. But it's also this slow cooking thing. You just put all your ingredients in this clay pot, and you're supposed to cook the tagine on top of the burned wood. So the fire is not very intense, you know, just charcoal. So then you just let everything slow simmer with all the onions and herbs and meat and just let it cook. And then three, four hours later, you got your delicious tagines. We enjoyed listening to Moomin's stories. He told us about where the ingredients that make it into his dishes come from and all the different spices found in Moroccan food. Mexican cuisine, they don't, they don't, ha they don't have a big variety of spices, but they have a big variety of, of chiles. They use spices, but not as much as we do in Morocco or some Middle Eastern country or Indian for that matter. Uh, for us, we have in Morocco, you know, the, the, the spices, the, the Far East used to be very sophisticated in their, in, their, in their cuisines. Indians, Chinese, where the rest of us used to, to eat very simple food, boiled vegetables and stuff like that. We didn't have spices until we brought them from, the far, from India and China. They used to flavor their cuisines. What the Arabs had was caravans and camels, so they did commerce, brought all the spices and fabric from... Mumen is a cultured and well-read man. His knowledge and understanding of the intricacies of the ingredients he cooks with had us completely absorbed and entertained throughout the whole of the evening. Wow. I wish someone spoke about me the way you speak about Mumen. Not a crush. You feel so Mumen feels very at home here in Baja, and we wanted to know why. First, there is some, some similarities a little bit between Mexican culture and, and the Moroccan culture, you know. I mean, like I said before, the, 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 there is that sense of family, well, rowdy and noisy and can be obnoxious and touchy, or overly friendly. I can, I, can, I can hug a stranger. I had problems in the U.S. being like that. I realize here it's not a problem. <laughs> Similarities between Moroccan and Mexican. We like to eat with, with pita, with bread, with our hands. We like to touch our foods. That's, that's big and a lot of slow cooking. And then there's the markets. Moomen is also reminded of home when he shops for his produce at a street market in nearby Ensenada. I grew up in, in crowded markets and people naming, calling things. When you walk into the big market in, in Marrakesh, you're in, you're in a, a different world, you know. Yes, they say 10 pesos. 
Like people saying prices, come here, I mean, potatoes, 10 dirhams, one dollar. There's people calling prices and calling you, and this is that energy that I didn't find in San Diego. It's super clean, super organized, but I find it in Baja. Dame todo lo que tienes. Ahí está. Ok. No, estos tres se quedan para mí. Ok. Gracias, ¿eh? Sí, muy bien. Muchísimas gracias. I actually feel more relaxed crossing to Mexico than because not, I know some people might talk about some safety issues, but that's their problem. But I feel more relaxed because, because of that comfort foods, mental food, which is the noise and the music and the, and the people and stuff like that. And being with the Mexican families just just being in Morocco, we might complain about that sometimes, like the kids screaming. I used to complain about that in Morocco, but I ended up missing it. <laughs> then once I get the feel of it in Mexico, it feels so good, you know. In case it wasn't obvious, he loves his life in Mexico. Okay, Alan, so what's our takeaway? Not worth it to eat 24 bad subs just to get a free sub. You mean don't be like Elaine? Yeah, just cut your losses. Let go of what's not working and move to Baja. Move to Baja and don't be like Elaine. Don't be like Elaine. This episode of Port of Entry was written and produced by Julio Cesar Ortiz Franco. Luca Vega is technical producer and sound designer. Adrián Villalobos is media production specialist. Elisa Barba is our editor. Lisa Morissette is director of audio programming and operations. And John Decker is senior director of content development. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. This project was also made possible with support from California Humanities a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Visit callhome.org. Soy Alan Lilienthal. Y yo soy Natalie González. Nos, Nos vemos, vemos pronto. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.